As you know, the On Farm podcast is brought to you by the team at Seen and Heard PR and Marketing. And I just wanted to remind you about a new initiative that's happening here called On Record. On Record is a project to preserve voices, stories and memories for the future with your very own audio recording. So we're recording memories of rural life. We're travelling around Scotland, working with families and organisations to capture precious voices of family members or staff members or long-serving office bearers to preserve those for posterity and sometimes for historical value. So if you think this project is something that you'd like to be involved in and maybe you have a grandparent or a parent that you'd like to capture on audio while you can, please do get in touch. You can find out more at onrecordmemories.co.uk. Hello and welcome to the On Farm podcast. I am sitting here today in my little studio and I actually can't believe what I'm about to say. You are currently, as I speak, listening to the UK's third most listened to food podcast. So this week, according to the official Apple chart ratings, we are third most listened to. So we're ahead of Heston Blumenthal, Nigella, Jamie Oliver, BBC Four's food programme. It's amazing. They're all below us in the charts. We are so chuffed. So guys, Heston, Nigella, Jamie, if you're listening, catch us if you can. Okay, onwards. I'll try and calm myself down. Last week's episode, an interview with Wigtonshire dairy farmer Rory Christie, obviously struck a nerve with lots of people out there. Rory shared some hard truths on supply chains, Brexit, climate change and much more besides do go back and have a listen if you haven't heard it already and again we really really appreciate all your shares and all your support thank you we decided not that long ago to make a point of name checking and thanking people and businesses who we see sharing posts on social media that include our handle which is at on underscore farm uk and we have a long list of people to thank this time. We're so, so grateful. So here we go. This is just some of the names. We'll try and try and get through others in, in future. But here we go. Thank you to Jock Gibson, Chris Helson, Amanda Brown, Lunan Bay Farm, Robert Ramsey from Soil Essentials, Rora Dairy, The Handle Just a Farmer, Alison Milne, Gordon Caldwell, Stuart McWhirter, Greenburn HR and many, many others. So thank you all so much. But on now with today's episode. This is the first of a number of podcasts we'll be doing in coming months in partnership with the Umbrella Organisation for Scottish Farm and Food Industry Co-ops, that is SAOS, which stands for the Scottish Agricultural Organisation Society. Among many, many other things, SAOS do all that they can to help Scottish agriculture meet farming's enormous, enormous challenge of responding to climate change. In future episodes, we'll be focusing on a variety of different aspects of the ways in which co-ops are tackling climate change. But today is an overview. We're introducing the themes, talking about the various challenges faced and looking at the progress that's already been made, effectively setting the scene for what SAOS has got planned for these future episodes. Climate change is such a big challenge that there's no way we could cover it in one episode. So a bit later on, we'll bring in Angela Porches of the Fruit Growers Co-op Angus Growers and Johnny Williams from Farmstock, a red meat marketing cooperative. But for the first half of today's chat, we've got Emma Patterson-Taylor, an SAOS policy manager focused on climate change. And the next voice you'll hear is the organisation's chief executive, Tim Bailey. The key part of my role at the moment, I suppose there's two, two key roles. One is around raising the profile of what our uh, co-op members who own SEOS, what they are um, undertaking 
what they're achieving. And secondly, in terms of reviewing how our, I suppose, organisational strategy is going to be playing out in the coming uh, five years. And uh, climate change is uh, possibly about the biggest challenge, but also opportunity that is facing agriculture over the coming number of years. So Emma, that must make you quite a busy lady. Um, could you tell us a bit more about your role and what that involves within SAOS? I suppose my role really, particularly for the last five years, has been trying to help the farming industry get to grips with the gnarly issue that is climate change. It was always going to be incredibly difficult for farmers to get their heads above the parapet of the daily business that is running their farms to really work out what to do never mind to really understand what those issues are so yes it keeps us busy but it's really rewarding challenging work yes i imagine it keeps you very busy but uh you know if you're starting to see a lot more activity within this area it must as you say be really rewarding to see the effort that, that people are putting in i read an article that you wrote recently emma and it really got me thinking and, and the title of it was it's time to leave the ostriches to their sand. And that really kind of struck a chord because I think whilst there is a huge amount of action and activity going on within this area, there are probably still quite a few people who are in denial, passing the blame, thinking that they're doing enough when actually they're not. So is this an issue that we have to to overcome before we can actually make progress? Yeah, you know, in fairness to our sector, I don't think it's been easy to understand what our role is and how we can tackle um, that. I think historically there's been this traditional kind of polarised position between the environmental lobby and the farming lobby. I think that just emerged over time, you know, there's kind of Rachel Carson's Silent Spring began the conversation around potential concerns about pesticides, for example, and the impact they were having on the environment. And I think that that really supported the growth of the environmental lobby, which was incredibly important, and which we've seen today, a rise of Greta Thunberg and, and all of that movement. But for the farming industry, I think it was quite difficult to really understand what their role was, because it felt, I think it must have really felt like everything they did was being damned. So I suppose there's just this key bit we need to do about going, let's be clear about agricultural's role in terms of climate change impacts, but let's also be clear about what we should celebrate and what they do so that farmers understand that they have a positive role to play. And there's a huge opportunity in there for the farming industry. Well, yes, and and, and we'll come on to that and discuss all of the, the various ways in which things that are already being done and uh, ways in which farmers and the farming sector can mitigate climate change. But But again, I suppose... Another foundation stone that we maybe need to lay right now is is in terms of definition and, and terminology. You know, we've done a couple of episodes in the past about um, climate change and we've talked to a number of people. And sometimes it appears to me that, that not everybody has a full understanding of, of what it is. Can you help them in that regard before we bring everybody in to, to make their contribution? Yeah, I mean, I suppose... If we're talking about climate change, we're really talking about the kind of global warming impact of climate change greenhouse gases. If you picture the Earth as a circle and you picture a bubble around that, greenhouse gases are causing a warming impact. So they're creating that additional bubble layer, which essentially means that radiation from the sun 
comes through that bubble, hits the earth, bounces back and gets stuck within that bubble and then bounces back into the earth and so on and so forth. So it's that kind of, it's just that heating effect. And essentially the IPCC, so the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, defines these greenhouse gases as having this potential global warming impact. That's what we're talking about when we talk about climate change. So we're talking about the earth heating up and all of the consequences that that can have for our livelihoods, really, in our future. It's a bit like we, we've covered a couple of episodes recently on organic farming. And, and I think if you stop 10 people in the street and ask them for a definition of what organic farming was, you'd get 10 different answers. And I think it's it's similar here. I think many people within the sector will find that really helpful. So, so thank you. So, Tim, we know what the problem is and we know that farmers to a degree are in some quarters seen as the villains of this but we know that the farming sector can actually be the hero in this situation. So what is it that SAOS can do on its own, but also crucially by working with others, because you are the organisation of collaboration, to demonstrate what's being done and encourage more to be done? There's absolutely a challenge there. There's a, you know, a problem on one hand, but actually it is very much an opportunity as well. And unlike the oil and gas industry, for example... Unlike some of the challenge you might have uh, with some heavy industrial sectors, unlike you might find with some of aviation, uh, they're net emitters. There's not an ability to um, mitigate that and even potentially overcome that through sequestration like agriculture can. So, you know, agriculture is in a very strong place. And, you know, and agriculture in Scotland in particular is in a very strong place to be able to be able to turn this around and turn it from a, a problem into an opportunity. So in terms of SEOS, then, I think just as mitigating climate change can't be sorted by one farm or even a handful of farms or even a group of farms that can only be led at a sector at a sector level, then very much the same applies organisationally. You know, that can't be achieved in a fragmented way. That can only be achieved by organisations working together. And I think from SUS's perspective is that, you know, as I said at the beginning, we've, you know, we estimate probably about a third, a third to 40 percent of the agricultural um, output in Scotland is delivered through our co-ops. So I think on one hand, we've kind of got that legitimacy to lead because of the footprint and the, the extent of our membership. But at the same time, you know, on the flip side of it, we've got that accountability, that responsibility to do so as well. So it's about galvanising our membership, but our membership working with other memberships and other organisations to make this a success. Do you think there is enough joined up thinking and and collaboration going on within the industry? You know, we've we spoke to Martin Kennedy, vice president of NFU Scotland, about his efforts to to get the general public to understand the positive impact that farming makes. Um, we've done an episode with Nigel Miller and Mike Robinson from Farming for One Point Five Degrees. Do you think at the moment there is enough of this this collaboration within the various organisations who've all got the ability to pull together, or is that something? else that that is continually improving and developing there's definitely more to be done but we're only at the start of the journey in general i think the key bit is there's a willingness there's a willingness to act there's a willingness to sort of collaborate and cooperate on these on this you know crucial topic so that's going to you know affects us all you know in many ways it's you know if you've got the willingness then that's the first battle won so now it's really just a case of joining up the dots aligning people and I think, yeah, the, the common thing that binds us is, you know, whether you're um, National Farmers Union of Scotland, whether you're EOS, EOS, whether 
you're the rural college, whether you're AHDB, whether you're any other organisation, we're passionate about the future of our industry and we want to preserve it and build on it and make sure it's there for 100 years' time. Absolutely. And as you've said, farming is in a strong position. Yes, it, it might be part of the problem in terms of its, its emissions, but it's also the primary tool to help absorb carbon, carbon sequestration, but also to help produce renewable energy. So I think it's probably quite timely now for me to introduce our other two guests today because they are both representing uh, the sector. We are also joined by Johnny Williams from Farmstock Scotland and Angela Porches. Angela, is that the correct pronunciation of your surname? Yes, it is. Yeah. Yes. Oh, good. Uh, from Angus Growers. So uh, I wonder if you could each, perhaps Johnny first, if you don't mind, just tell us a bit more about uh, who you are and what you do and, and what Farmstock Scotland does. Thanks, uh, Anna. Um, Farmstock Scotland is a marketing cooperative based in the south of Scotland. We represent about 400 predominantly beef and sheep farmers and we market their lambs on their behalf to their best advantage, dealing with supermarkets and processors throughout Scotland and indeed throughout the, the whole of the UK. Thank you very much, Johnny. And uh, Angela, can you tell us a bit more about yourself? Yeah, so um, I'm the general manager for uh, Angus Growers. We are a marketing cooperative, uh, currently have 19 members, primarily based within um, Angus, Perthshire and Fife. Collectively, we currently farm about 600 hectares of soft fruit, and that's a combination of strawberries, raspberries, blueberries, blackberries, and some cherries as well. We uh, work very closely as a cooperative and, um, and also as a producer organisation. Angela, it sounds like maybe your next door neighbours are doing a bit of DIY or something at the moment, are they? Do you know what that'll be? That'll be the neighbours. <laughs> that'll be the neighbours redoing their patio across the way. <laughs> don't worry. We've had worse. I tell you, we've had much worse on this podcast. Okay, so don't I'm worry so sorry. <laughs> so um, perhaps a surprising question, Johnny, but you're involved in the livestock sector. Angela involved in, in soft fruits. Um why do you think Tim and Emma have invited you onto this podcast today? Well, I'm, I'm guessing potentially, you know, the red meat industry has had a real kicking historically for being one of the main culprits in, in terms of greenhouse gas emissions. I guess as a co-op, maybe potentially by accident initially, uh, we, over the last five years, we've really tried to encourage our producers to become more efficient through benchmarking and monitoring of outputs and inefficiencies. In doing so, they have probably drastically reduce their carbon footprint which is a really a really good good news story for the for the whole red red meat industry and in the last couple of years we've also started monitoring aspects of the supply chain like um, haulage and road miles i think in the last year we saw a reduction of approximately a million a million transport miles which is a really great soundbite it certainly is yeah absolutely and can you tell me a little bit more though also about the feed and breeding side of things because I remember when we recorded with Nigel Miller um, who is a vet by trade and former president of NFU Scotland and, and he was saying these are really two really critical areas within livestock production that where farmers can make a really really positive impact. Yeah and it's in, it's in terms of we've been doing various projects and, and we've been looking at days to slaughter and how producers can significantly reduce the time which animals are on farm and, and that's through better management of grazing through better management of feeding and such like that and it, we've been publicizing the good practices which our best producers are using and trying to encourage our other producers to adopt those practices and and, and so you 
you know, the whole supply chain, the whole co-op can, can benefit. And going back to, to the analogy that I spoke with Emma about earlier about ostriches and, and burying their head in the sand, um, how have you found within the, your members the, the attitude, I suppose, and the belief that, that they are part of the solution? Or, or has there been any kind of element of, of denial there? Most producers I speak to, I think, are at, you know, they, they view themselves as custodians of their farms and of their landscape. And they're very proud of that. And they're very, they would hate to think that they were in some way damaging their natural resource. So, I mean, you're always going to get a few people who aren't going to come on board. And I agree with, with Emma's analogy about, you know, just it's time to forget about those. You can't, you're not going to change these people's minds and just let them, just let them do their thing. You know, uh, uh, Angela, um, can you tell us a bit about the soft fruit sector and the work that's being done both within your co-op but also perhaps slightly more broadly in terms of, of looking for solutions? Yeah, um, again, you know, the same as Johnny's mentioned, our producers are very proud of, of what they're producing and um, and they definitely want to be part of the solution. They don't want to be part of a problem. So they're very keen and they're, they're very forward thinking. I think as an industry, we're particularly good at not blowing our trumpets too loudly. Oftentimes we forget to let people know what we what we do do and what we have done. Consistently over the past decade, we have actually been introducing a number of environmental measures which do make a big impact, but we're just quietly quietly do that in the background. We're not very good at letting people know what it is we're doing. You know, we when I think about over the past 10 years, we have been we've pretty much discontinued the use of peat as a growing system. Uh, we primarily use coir, which, um, as you know, is a, um, is a waste product from the coconut. We use coir probably in about 80% of our, of our crops. And, um, and this alone, obviously, just the reduction of peat will inevitably lead to the reduction of the mining of peat and the use of peat reduces the, the emissions of greenhouse gases. In addition, we also use biological controls, which I think is something that people don't really know about. You know, the average person out there doesn't, doesn't know that we use these predatory insects as a way of controlling pests rather than using chemical alternatives. So I mean, over the years, we have been slowly introducing um, measures that do make farming and, um, and particularly soft fruit farming more sustainable and environmentally friendly. Other than that, you know, we're always looking at ways of, of mitigating our impact. And at the moment, we're looking quite seriously at the plastic use in our punnets and lids, because um, that's obviously the, the one thing that the consumer will probably see. And as well, you know, the whole process, the whole supply chain from start to finish, again, paying attention to our, our fuel consumption, paying attention to the miles that our fruit travels. And yeah, very much trying to raise awareness uh, to the, the, the public as to where your food comes from. Encourage them to eat more British fruit and veg. And, and I think that, again, it's all too easy if, if you're a consumer to to start laying the blame. It's all too easy if you're anybody, to be fair, to start laying the blame elsewhere. But I think it's about looking at all parts of the jigsaw and putting it all together. And I think that's a key one, actually, is is we need to look at our own consumption habits and where we buy from. And by supporting, for example, you know, the, the very best and I should add the most tasty Scottish strawberries or buying you know, grass-fed beef, for example, that's come from Scotland instead of the other side of the world. That's actually helping too. It's, it's not just about trying to blame those who are causing the emissions, but actually to all of us, I think, doing our bit. 
Uh, Tim and Emma, as I kind of touched on it there, but, but I think what's also interesting is that part of the solution is willingness, working together and collaboration. But technology can also provide part of the solution as well. Yeah, at the end of the day, technology provides lots of options around um, how we tackle climate change. But technology, being technology, can often be quite expensive. But what we, you know, what we see as an advantage of through a co-op is that where you've got a number of um, owners, farmer owners of that business, user owners, as it were, whether it's 20 or 2,000, at the end of the day, you can all chip in. You can all chip in to invest in that technology, which then everyone can benefit from. We probably ought to be looking a little bit more smartly around businesses or businesses working together, accessing R&D tax credits, for example. So I think there's various, there's various avenues out there. And it's just about um, picking the right, the right funding pot for the right measure. And I think a key word you've just, just uttered there, Tim, is, is measure. How can farming demonstrate its success story if there's no before and after, as it were, and, and no data to support that? Yeah, I mean, I think more, more generally, it's a, it's a case of bringing data to life for growers, for farmers. It's a very dry word, isn't it? But, it, <laughs> but it's actually about making it relevant. Like, like anything in life, if you can make something relevant, we're involved with um, doing some pilot work looking at data that is, is, is held by the Scott EID business that manages the, the livestock and uh, movement traceability data for all of Scotland's pigs, sheep and soon-to-be cattle. There's loads of data there, loads of data there already. And so we're actually mining that now with a view of actually then, I suppose, enabling us to be able to present that data back to farmers to actually see how their relative performance is uh, relative to their peers and also, I suppose, relative to what best practice looks like. So, you know, that doesn't even involve any extra data, gather. That's data we already have to help people make decisions. Farmers, as we've said, are part of the solution, but they also need to be armed with information. And I've found in all the conversations I've had since we started this podcast, in particular when it comes to climate change, farmers are quite rightly, I think, feeling a bit defensive because there has been a bit of an attack on them. That's why we started this podcast, because we wanted to try and redress the balance and, and put some positivity in there. But perhaps part of that defensiveness is actually to do with the fact that they're not necessarily armed with the information to be able to defend themselves and justify what they do. So it strikes me that actually, yes, yes, whilst we've joked that data is a boring word, actually is it's crucial to this, because not only does it demonstrate how farming is a solution, it also in, in enables and empowers farmers to be able to explain what they're doing and gives them extra confidence. Angela, would you say that's that's true to a degree? I think, um, again, uh, Johnny actually mentioned, you know, we, we have very similar situation. We have a lot of data. I think that one of the areas that we've identified now is, you know, when it comes to data capturing, we're getting better at it. Um, we understand the data as it comes in. But for us, the, the big um, step forward is now going to be I guess what they call storytelling data, taking that data and making it useful, delivering it in bite-sized messages to our members that they can very quickly pick up and understand. Um, you know, that they, they, they have jobs to do. They don't have time to sit and stare at spreadsheets and numbers for hours on end. So yeah, it's, it's very much about interpreting the data and pulling out the, the key 
useful bits that that are going to help them make essential business decisions moving forward. Yeah, the only thing I wanted to add was we've started doing um, a competition uh, on a monthly basis, rewarding our producers, which are which are the most efficient. And it's been really successful and uh, people become quite competitive about it all. I think it's a great lesson to you. Uh, it's, a, it's a great, a great, been a great experience and, and, and that farmers do want to get better and do want to become more efficient. And, you know, you just need to in, instill a bit of competitive spirit and they all want to be the best. You know? uh, they do. Yeah, they all love to. Well, my husband's an arable farmer, so less relevant to you. But, you know, at livestock farms are, I'm sure, the same. They, you can't drive anywhere without peering over the, the hedges and the fences to see who's doing what. So instilling a bit of competitiveness sounds like an incredibly good strategy, if you ask me, Johnny. <laughs> but it's, posi- it's, it's, it's positive competitiveness. It's not the stick beating them. It's a bit of carrot. And that, I think that's yes, what we need. Yes, absolutely. You know? I must admit, we do something very similar. We have um, forecasts competition because obviously forecasting is key to, to both the marketing side and because it helps minimize waste um, so yeah I think uh, our growers take great pride in um, the, the the annual forecasting awards <laughs> that we have and again it is just recognizing people who have done a really good job at you know crop predictions and, and forecasting so yeah I think uh, as you said a little bit of healthy competition is a good thing can I jump in there too Anna go for it (laughs) yeah no just gonna add to Johnny's point I I think it's right there's a brilliant opportunity and lots of our members are doing work with data that they hold um, you know of their members and using that to reflect back it it, people have done varying things but almost a scorecard type approach you know so they'll have some kind of league table that they'll reflect back to their membership in order to give a greater understanding to their individual members of how they're performing and typically performance will come down to you know a financial bottom line but also an environmentally efficient one which is a fantastic way of I guess increasing awareness as much as anything else as well as improving the competitiveness of the co-op and I just wanted to add as well just the point Tim was making about you know technology and you were asking about data We're doing a number of sort of interviews and surveys with our whole membership, everyone who's happy to be involved. And they've been really interesting conversations that we've had around trying to say to our member co-ops, what would you like to be doing that you're not able to do? And typically, I think they can often be big investor projects that, you know, a business would love to take on, but the barrier is financial. And I really do, I think there's something that we could do in there around advocating on behalf of our membership to say, look, these are big infrastructure projects which need some kind of funding, which the membership will also support in order to get them off the ground. And there's something about making sure that government and other funding partners understand investment is going to be needed to help the farming industry take advantage of those opportunities. And going back, I suppose, to that takes me back to, to the word recognition, really. I think um, the farmers need and deserve and and want that recognition, and I don't think it's selfish of them to to expect that. Um, but Tim, you you'll be perhaps not not meeting them face to face at the moment because of restrictions. But you know you'll be talking to farmers and co-op members day in day out. How how important do you think it is across the industry that they are given the recognition for the positives as well as being beaten over the head as they're more used to for the emissions? 
Well, I think it just fulfills the, you know, basically the human nature, isn't it? I mean, farmers are no different to to my job, your job, anyone else's. Really, you you could have reason to get out of bed in the morning, and if you're getting out of bed in the morning and all you're feeling is like you're getting beaten up every time you you switch on the uh, news or you stick on the radio or you look at the internet, you know, particularly when you know nothing could be further from the truth. There's balance in everything in life. There's stuff to do better, but there's good stuff already. And all, and all farmers want is a, a recognition of stuff that's going well, of the positive contributions, and then that in itself becomes an incentive to then focus on improving even further. That's coming back to Johnny's example about incentivizing. It's about finding the sweet spot, the sweet spot that incentivizes people. Y- yes, and I guess so in that sense, you know, it's not rocket science, is it? It's about appealing to, to, to human nature, as you said, Tim, and ensuring that there's there's a reality check there has to be a reality check about the the emissions but also another reality check giving farmers the recognition that they deserve and the incentive to keep doing it for the rest of their generation and the next and the next and no matter how much grief farming gets I will always argue back to whoever it is that's that's giving the grief that that, that the most uttered sentence I've ever heard from far individual farmers is that they are ultimately just custodians of the land and they are taking care of it for the next generation. And I think that's the mindset of the majority, absolutely the majority. Um, but looking ahead to, to future generations, um, Tim, do we have a cha- another challenge on our hands when it comes to to targets and clarity of targets and what we're actually aiming for i think there's clarity in terms of the top line targets that are enshrined in law the next stage is actually coming back to having an aligned agreement and how we're going to get to those how we're going to fulfill those targets how we phase them what measures can be put in place to do that so the targets are reality they're enshrined in law but it's actually about the it's about the tactical tactical implementation of of measures to do that and that will very much depend on sector even geography to some degree. We're now starting to see some, we're moving to that um, phase, I guess, really. I mean, last week with the publication of the Farming for One and a Half Degrees uh, report that came out, that was very much talking around five stages. So it's about putting the proverbial flesh on the bones now. Just to add that, I mean, I think, yeah, Tim's absolutely right. You know, those those targets are set in stone and, and that's the direction of travel. And we all know that, which is, you know, useful for that clarity. There is also an understanding at government level about the challenges in farming, the inherent emissions that are the nature of food production. So that is something that we do know is is an issue that we're going to contend with. What I think will become really critical for us is demonstrating that we are making progress. So it may well be that we can negotiate the ways in which we demonstrate that, but it will be non-negotiable that we demonstrate that we are moving somewhere. And that, I think, brings us right back to data. You know, it might well be that we need to find intelligent ways ourselves to set standards and to set measures that go, look, we can show you we have moved from A to B to D and so on, so that the direction of travel is is really clear. I think that's important. Yeah, so it, it comes down then... If my interpretation is correct to these two things, data will be critical to demonstrate progress 
and collaboration will be critical to make that progress. So those, for me, seem to be the two fundamentals. Do you think that's true, Emma? Yes, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, no, I think that's true. Um, that's very on brand and on message for SOS. But no, I think it, it's innately what we do. And I think it's what the whole industry needs to do to make our way towards net zero. And at the risk of sounding on brand again, you know, SAOS is the organisation to provide that leadership and to, for want of a better phrase, rally the troops and take that forward uh, collectively. OK, well, I'm going to do a shameless plug here, if you'll forgive me for that. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. Given the last five years of my working life have been dominated by that exact question and that challenge, <laughs> we've been working to develop a project called Carbon Positive, which is all about exactly what you've just referred to, you know, telling that positive story about what farmers are doing. So we're launching in spring 21. And essentially what the platform will do is it will provide a profile for every single farm in Scotland. So it can tell a story at farm level, but also, a, you know, Scotland to the farm level, so a national level as well, so that we can help get farmers to really understand the positive role that they play, to celebrate the positive contribution they make, to use that to drive change on farm and to provide education for the farming industry, but also the public around what farming's contribution really is in relation to climate change. So yes, shameless plug over, but we need to have some collaborative efforts in that space to tell our story better than we have. Absolutely. I, I think um, this has been fascinating and it's got me quite excited for the forthcoming episodes because as I touched on, this is episode one, setting the scene, and then we'll really get the nitty gritty coming up. Um, I think I'm going to more or less wrap it up here, but I would like to come to everybody. I would love to hear from each of you individually as concisely as you can in a sentence. What's next? Where, where are we going? The fairest way to do it is probably alphabetical order, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, as long as you go with first names. <laughs> I was actually going to because I'm, I'm used to being picked on when that happens myself. So, uh, <laughs> Angela, I'm going to pick on you purely because of alphabetical order, if you don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, well, I think definitely um, technology. I think technology and AI is, is, is what's definitely ahead of us. Better data monitoring data capturing systems yeah and just continuing to drive home the messages to both the supermarkets and, and, and the customers who buy from us and extending messages onto the consumers themselves as well to just really drive home the point about um, what it is we are doing within our sector and um, and to encourage people to, to eat as many British fruit and veg as they possibly can so <laughs> thumbs up to that <laughs> and emma if you don't mind going next yeah no problem at all uh, so one sentence i think i would go for more working together more working together right across the industry industry organizations government the commercial world this issue is way too big for anyone to be tackling it alone and scotland is way too small to be doing it in a siloed way so Great. And uh, Johnny, you'll be next, I think, in alphabetical order. Uh, I think it's about communication. And I think we've got a really good story. And I think we just need to find a better way of, of telling it. Very concise. I like that. Thank you. <laughs> and finally, Tim. I think the key, the key comes down to bringing data, environmental data, business data to life for individual businesses so that they see it, how it's relevant to them, how it's relevant to benefit them, their business, and then doing that by working together will achieve the collective 
uh, progress we all need. Many thanks to Tim Bailey and Emma Patterson-Taylor of SAOS and to Johnny Williams of Farmstock and Angela Porches of Angus Growers. There's plenty more to come on climate change and lots more from SAOS in forthcoming episodes. If you can't wait, though, go back through the on-farm archive and look for our chat with the leads at Farming for 1.5 Degrees and for our visit last winter to the farm of NFU Scotland Vice President Martin Kennedy. And there's plenty more besides. It's clear, thankfully, that climate change is something that more and more of us are waking up to. Thank you again for listening. Um, These figures and these statistics and this chart would not have happened without you. And we'll see you next time when we'll be helping the Morden Animal Health Research Institute celebrate a very special birthday. Thank you.